Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your featured host, Shah McCain, a forensics counselor, psychic, writer, artist, modern day Christian mystic, and UFO experiencer. Shah introduced guests who are experts on all aspects of the paranormal and the sacred. The Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show has been featured on Blog Talk Radio as Staff Pick. And now for your host, Sean McCain. Hi, everybody. This is Sean McCain calling calling and talking to you live from Southern California, and I'm very happy to be with you tonight. Um, Dr. Mary Helen Hensley is our special guest tonight, author, metaphysical healer, a near-death experiencer, and I'm going to read her um, intro as we're waiting for her to uh, call in. Healing with sound, vibration, frequency, and light, wit, wisdom, and wow are synonymous with Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. Her marriage of no-holds-barred Humor and honesty, coupled with integrity and compassion, make her one of Ireland and Europe's most sought-after metaphysical healer and synergistic speakers. After receiving a BA in communications and graphic design from Coker University in Hartsville, South Carolina, I think we're getting her to come in now. Hello, Dr. Hensley. Hello, how are you? I was just doing your intro. I'm good. I, I don't have Skype from you. Uh, you know what? There's no button on here, and uh, I'm wondering if you're coming across on the show. Did you did you call? Do did you Skype into the show? No, I don't have any Skype contact or any. Uh, um. I know. No, what happens is I can't do anything until 15 minutes to the show, and that was the issue. But uh, I am just now introducing you. Can you? Uh, I have a show phone number. I'm not quite sure how to do this, really, because I've never uh, called out. They won't let me call out of the United States, but you can call in, and I think you can Skype in. Uh, there's a button if you go to the show page where uh, – did you get a link to the show? Um, I don't have a link. No. Yeah, there's a link to the show. Okay. Okay. So go to, uh, are you on your Facebook? Okay, so I'm going to go to you and I'm going to go, I'm going to put the address in. Okay, then go to that go to my page. 
So click on that, and I'll go back to the studio. Because you know what? You what happened is that you had a a phone number, and I was trying to call that phone number, but the phone number didn't work. Uh, no, it had a it's it looked like it had a regular. Uh, okay, so I know I found that out. Okay, so did you go to, to my page? Oh, okay. So bear with us, listeners, because we have our extra special guest calling in from Ireland. I can hear you. I just don't know if they can hear you. You're going to see your show. Yeah. So that's the phone number should be listed on the front. Um, see, I don't see any. Uh, there's, there's sometimes a little Skype balloon out there or somewhere. Excuse us for a minute, people. We're we're still trying to get ourselves synchronized here. Okay. Now, I have to say I am not a <laughs> Oh gosh. You know, they won't let me do anything until 15 minutes before, and so that's when I was trying to find you, so that's what, I don't know. I must have been slacking this week. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Yeah, people have Skyped into me before, but it's something on their side that they do, and I'm not quite sure what, what they do. I don't know if they put the phone number in the Skype or or what.
Yeah, that's it. Oh, that's that's ridiculous. You do see a Skype to call thing? Okay. Can't see anything right now. Because I can see it if it's connecting. Yeah, I don't have that yet. I don't see you yet. I don't know. Yeah, it says you're not online. I I am. I'm right in the studio. So uh, let. I don't know. Because I don't see what you're. How can I do that? Let me see. Okay. Wonder chat. Chat. Okay, chat. I see something. It's saying something I've never seen before, so let me just just go and just try it so I can at least... Okay, so the issue is I have to get you into the studio, and I don't know how to get you into the studio. Okay, let me try this one more time. I'm going to go backwards. Go back in here. 
because I have to be able to connect with you. No, that didn't help. Okay, let me see. Desktop version. Yeah, uh, for, for me, it's not, it's just, I don't see it. Um, did you try putting your my phone number in there? Could you Skype in using a phone number? Like the if you call the guest call in number, that's how I get you into the studio. Right, but I'm calling on Ireland on a cell phone. So it's two hours phone call on the cell phone from Ireland. Uh, I can fly to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, I don't. How could I do that? Um, how many? How much is it per minute? Yeah, try it with that. The number to call in is 563-999. Yeah, okay, you see it. Okay. I see you. Dr. Mary Helen? Mary Helen? Yes. I see you. You're live on the Paranormal is Sacred. I'm in Southern California. What's that? I'm in Southern California, just just below the airport. Oh, right. Okay. I know it well. Yes, that's what I thought because, you know, I've read, uh, I'm in the middle of reading two of your books, The Promise of Heaven and the healing, uh, another healing book, and both of them are fabulous. Understanding is the new healing, yes. Yes, yes. And I appreciate you so much uh, for calling in and um, how much time do you have tonight, Miss? Well, it's two a.m. here, so um, oh. we'll go. We'll go till I can't go anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So let me read your intro again. That you were involved in a car accident that was to change your life forever with vivid clarity, and you were able to recount all that took place during your near-death experience. That's what I read in the book, too, that you actually rose above yourself in this car accident. And uh, could you do you want to tell our readers a little bit about what happened? Um, absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, December 14th, 1999, and I was on my way to a Christmas party, and I came to an intersection of Highway 17 in Charleston, South Carolina, and I was sitting at a red light, and when my light turned green, I was making my way across the lanes of traffic to go towards town, and when I got to the last lane of the oncoming traffic, I looked left, and there was a car coming at me very quickly, and that was when it all changed. Everything just ground to a halt, and I realized in that moment that I had a choice to stay in my body and experience the impact, or I could skedaddle. And so uh, I chose option B, and next thing I knew, 
there I was hovering above the body, looking down, and everything sped back up, and I watched I watched my own death unfold in front of me. Yeah, you talk about an uh, interesting concept that we have like a chosen portal to exit, like these p- chosen portals throughout our life. Um, yeah. And that's is that is that what you're describing? Well, I think it was one of, you know, I think we have many portals of exit where, you know, if we have on a soul level that we have determined that we're, we've come here and done what we, we needed to do, that we have you know, multiple opportunities to leave, um, but then there is that final opportunity to go. And so this was a portal of exit for me, but not my final, not my final destination. Yeah, in your book, you say that you do know when your final exit is going to be. Yeah, I do indeed. Yep. <laughs> so that's why I am living large and and uh, you know. Taking uh, taking every day as it comes, and really just squeezing every last drop out of life that I possibly can. That's a that's the uh, message to all of us. Really, is to live one you know one day at a time, but also live it live at large. And uh, uh, you know it's very hard when, uh, especially now that everybody here in. Uh, America, things are still very much shut down. This has been going on for months, like seven months into this. I was there for six of them. I was in L.A. for six of those months. (laughs) I did not know this. Yeah, I live in Hollywood during the summer. But I had gone over to to do some work on the audio book, which is coming out in a few weeks, for Understanding is the New Healing, um, because it's the first book um, going up on Audible, that is backed by the frequencies that I use in my healing sessions. And so with each story that I'm telling, it is backed by the actual frequencies that will allow the listener to immerse themselves in the story. And if they connect with something within that story, that frequency that allows them to heal. So basically, you know, that retraining, retraining the brain frequency is, backing each individual story in there so I had gone out there in March to work on that for a few weeks and I ended up getting COVID and um, so I stayed on yeah and uh, stayed on and I was there until I left at the end of July beginning of August and then drove Route 66 and went from the west coast to the east coast I went from Los Angeles to Virginia well, that's an amazing trip. I've I've done it a few times. Oh, and it it's a awesome. long it trip. Was, it is, but I love to drive, and it was just um, it was fantastic, absolutely amazing. So yeah, I was there from kind of the get go when everything started, and then when I ended up getting COVID myself, I was doing live broadcasts every day because I was probably one of the first that anybody that I knew um, to get it, and so I was kind of doing lives to keep everybody updated of, of what it actually looked like and what it felt like and, um, you know, talking people through it, deconstructing the virus, talking about the the very positive attributes of it and, you know, how it was affecting each of us differently, some of us on a physical level, some on an emotional or spiritual level. Um, you know, some people were cleaning out their bodies, other people were cleaning out their garages um, and how that – 
opportunity for all of us there to to really go in and and clean house was there and you know some people were taking it as a bus out you know it's um those those who didn't make it through or had related illnesses that were triggered by this and used this as their portal of exit um you know i think there are so many stories now of people who shouldn't have made it who did and those who totally look like they should have made it and who didn't and to me that's just absolute proof in the pudding that you know you come here to do what you came here to do end of story doesn't matter if it's you know plague famine pandemic um you're gonna you're gonna stay here until you're finished here that's right i i totally know that your number isn't up till it's really up you know Mm -hmm. and that exactly uh, yeah, the, the, it isn't over till it's over. I tell people that all the time. Oh, so and so is going to die. I said he's never going to die. He's too evil, first of all. Because <laughs> one of my cousins' ex-husband, I said he'll never die. I said he'll have. He lost two legs. I said he's not going to. She says he's going to be dead. No, he's not going to die. It's been ten years since she's been telling me that. He's not dying yet. He'll be a head on a platter, and he still won't be dead. He'll still stay alive. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, you know, it's, it's like my mom. She's 91. She got COVID, and she's still here. And it's just I was literally in uh, completing with the artist the artwork for her, her her first book, which is coming out for Christmas. Um, you know, she's got stuff to do. And so it didn't matter that she was 91 and that she fit the, the high-risk category. She's, she's still here because she's not finished with what she came here to do. That's that's the whole point is that uh this is a, a teaching ground. We did uh sign up for this and I had a hard time grasping that at first because uh uh you do touch upon that in your books about how why would somebody ask for Choose this. you know a horrible <laughs> yeah, a horrible life or a life that's so horrible and difficult but People choose to have a certain lesson. They learning something, or certain many lessons. And you know, I think the thing that trips most people up is they try to wrap a human brain around that concept, forgetting the fact that when they choose to do that, that they're in their, you know, you're in your divine, omnipotent, eternal space where you're that being, knowing that no one or no thing can harm who you really are. And so when you're making the decision to come in and stuff your stuff yourself into a meat suit and and you know traverse the earth terrain um with all of its bliss and joy and horror and hardship simultaneously that you know that you absolutely chose to put yourself in that but when people think of it from a human perspective with their human mind I you know there's no way I would put myself in this there's no way I would have I would have chosen to have cancer what do you mean and, you know, again, when people think of it from that kind of limited five senses perspective of 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 being, of existing, um, it does become a very hard pill to swallow. But if you can kind of take yourself out of that and go, you know, I was I was in my true form. I was completely 100 percent aware of who and what I really am when I made that choice to endure this hardship. You know, the, uh, you have you have taken a very unusual track in life. Uh, your whole life has been filled with all these miracles, and 
you have actually had a mentor from the gate that happened to be with your uh, grandfather. And uh, right. can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what I'm talking about? Yeah, so my grandfather, uh, we called him Judge, that was his nickname. My grandfather Judge was Dr. Garland Clark, and he was a surgeon from Kentucky. And he was my absolute, to this day still is, my absolute confidant, my my best pal. And he taught me um, pretty heavy concepts for a small child, um, you know, talking about teaching me about stewardship and, and what it meant to serve and why I would come here and, and, you know, the types of people that I would interact with. And, um, you know, he was, he was just, he was an amazing, amazing mentor that way. But when I was about four, my parents sat me down at the kitchen table. I can still see the conversation to this day. And my father, my father was a Southern Baptist minister and he was also a, a big American football star. And so he was a, huge presence of a man so you know heads turned when he walked into a room and he was extraordinarily disciplined far more so than myself you know he never drank smoked for um he lived the life that you know he wanted to present to the to the kids that he was coaching and teaching and mentoring and and to his congregations um so he had this very deep booming voice and sat me down at the table one day and I was four and he said uh sugar do you know the difference between what it means to be alive and dead? <laughs> and I said, wow. huh? <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world's going on? And basically what had, had gotten to them was the fact that I would talk about my grandfather and all of these things um, that he was teaching me and things that they knew to be true. This was my mother's father things that they knew to be true, but they knew that at four years old there was no way I could know them. And so finally they had to kind of break it to me that that judge was had been dead since I was one. And, wow. you know, so I, I was like, oh, okay, um, okay. You know, and then I bounced off and went outside to play or did whatever, and it was just – it was a really funny time for us because I was a challenge, you know, right from the get-go for my parents because – you know, with my father being a minister and my mom being a minister's wife and me being the preacher's daughter, um, I I was uh, I was a challenge, let's say. But what was so interesting was that when my mother was pregnant with me, she had the German measles in her first trimester of pregnancy, and so um, they were both. My parents were both in their forties at that stage. I was the youngest of four, and so I was I was a great big surprise, and um, my father or my parents had gone to the doctor doctor and they had basically been told listen you need to go ahead and get your head around the idea that this child isn't going to be okay this is back in the 60s so you know we're not doing ultrasounds and um, amniotic fluid tests and all this kind of stuff they just know that my mom is, had, had been ill with the German measles and that that did not fare well for the child and so they were like look there's there's going to be something wrong we can't tell you what it is yet because we don't know what's happening in the development but you need to go ahead and accept that um this is coming and so my father then had a visit and what was so fascinating is for a religious man for a, you know for a, a christian man um he described this as a celestial visit and so you would think he would have used the term maybe angel, but these angels didn't have wings. These were two beings, and he very distinctly described them as two beings. Mm. 
And they came to him and told him that not only would his daughter be okay, so they identified me as a girl, that not only would she be okay, but that she was going to come in with some unusual abilities. And um, from that time forward, then my father knew everything was going to be okay. And then sure enough, I was born and there were no complications. And so from the time I was a young child, anytime anything would happen in my life, if there was, you know, if I was upset or if there was difficulty or whatever, he would say, you know, sugar, just remember, you're promised. And that was how promised by heaven got its name. It was, um, it was a promise that was made to him that I was here to, to serve and that I was here to, um, to share these gifts with, with, with humanity that I would come in, come in with. And, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> it, it, I know it's uh, it's it's stunning because uh, what I like about about your book and the way you are is that you're down to earth. You're very grounded. However, you have all these miraculous experiences, and you didn't pull any punches in your books about your relationships and the the uh, tragedy and the ecstasy of men with men and uh, things like that. And uh, I was very impressed uh, with your honesty. And uh, I have found over the years that the easiest way, especially when you're on the stage all the time and you're, you know, uh, you know, I never use notes when I speak. That's just, um, that would trip me up more than anything is if I had to use a note. So you know, I'm always speaking off the cuff. I'm always speaking from the heart. And I have found that honesty truly is the best policy there because I don't ever have to remember any tall tales or any whoppers because I don't tell them. I don't need to. And so when I'm telling these stories and when I'm talking about what's happened, they just flow naturally and very honestly and um, in a very pure way because of the fact that that they're real. They're my reality. They're my truth. They, they're what they. I'm telling them the way that they've happened. And I think um, one of the things I enjoy the most, you know, as far as feedback with books go, is, is people will often tell me that I write the same way that I speak. They feel like they're sitting there having a conversation with me, and that's what I want because, you know, I'm sure you've experienced in your life. Um, I've been around an awful lot of awful lot of smart people in my life. You know, I've. Uh, I've gone through, my, you know, I have my college degrees, and I'm a doctor, and um, I've been around an awful lot of people who who find some great joy. They really tweak their egos by talking above people. Um, it makes mm. them feel good. It makes them feel superior. And I'm going, what purpose are you serving? Because really, you're just talking, 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 and nobody can understand what you're saying. And 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 alienating you, people. Exactly. I'm like, what do you, what do you get out of that? And. So I've I've always been very conscious of just remaining true to myself. You know, I'm a good old Southern girl, and um, you know, we just we call it like it is, and and I try to write that way, and try to write from a space of um, I want people to be able to see themselves in my stories because I'm 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 just sharing their stories because aren't we all fractals of the same whole? Um, and if you can remember that when you're talking about a story that we're all just experiencing life through different sets of eyes. But um, when I can share what's happened in my life with somebody and I can listen to what's happened in their life, then we're all growing that way. We're all moving forward. And there are going to be some experiences that I've had that maybe you haven't. 
and there are going to be some experiences that you've had that maybe I haven't, but by listening and by sharing and by connecting in that same vibration, then we can we can storehouse that information and we can um, learn and grow from what we're sharing with one another while not necessarily having to actually go through the experience. And I think if you can connect with, with your readers that way or the people who are listening to you, um, you know, then, then, then you're getting somewhere. Then you're getting down to business um, because then we're just we're connecting. We're, we're having a synergistic exchange where nobody's overpowering the other. Nobody's ego is in the way that we're just simply exchanging information. Which is so which is so important because uh, you have I, I was reading about your stories and you have had many touchstones. Thankfully, people that you you guys recognize each other from other lives. I, I feel mm-hmm. like what a gift that somebody would honestly tell you back. Oh, I know you from the covered wagon days, or you know these are like little touchstones that you can you know I would. I I w- did not have a family like yours. We had a lot of guilt and fear because um you know my my parents were scared by me. And uh I was you know told I was really put down for my abilities and it, it instilled a fear in me that I have to this day. And and that's what I wrestle with is accepting uh my own uh skills and uh that aren't really orthodox, if you know what I mean, you know, that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a guilt with mine that you don't have with yours. And I, I, that's what I was reading. I was thinking, look at the, the nurturing environment that you were raised in. You know, um, mine was like the opposite. You know, I was slapped and slammed down for any of that kind of thing. Or people treated me with fear. And it made me mm-hmm. free. Well, you know what? We ended up in the same spot, though, and that's what's so yes. beautiful about it is that we're able to bring that's those right. things to the table because there are going to be some people who are going to absolutely relate to exactly what you just said. And then I look back, and I had so much to do that, you know, my battles weren't to be had with my parents and my siblings. That's not where um, where the stories that I would share, that's not where they were going to be born. Um, the stories were going to come in – other kinds of interpersonal relationships and dealings with the world. That's that that was my contribution. Some people they have those stories to tell, like what you've just said, and yeah. how they've grown out from the adversity or from the the trauma of a background where they weren't nurtured, and which is just so incredible because there are people who can relate to me and there are people who can relate to you, and that's why I encourage everybody: please tell your stories, please please write them down because that's how we get a real picture. You know, we know from past experience and certainly present experience, you know, like the media, and if we get only a a singular perspective about something, then it gives a very skewed picture of what life is really like. You know, so for instance, you know, I was in in Los Angeles during all of the protests and um, for Black Lives Matter, and I took part in the vast majority of them after I'd recovered from from COVID, and I just wanted to be there. I wanted my children to to be part of this this history in the making, and I, and not necessarily because they embodied. You know, we live in Ireland. And my, my, I grew up in the South, so um, uh, I had a, a, a much deeper connection to to seeing some of those 
wrongs righted than my children do. They've heard the stories, but it's not something they've necessarily lived. And so I thought it was absolutely vital that they got to, to, to come in and be part of that and start formulating their own experiences because to them, to these kids who have come in now, they look around and go, what's, what, what's all the fuss about? I can't even believe mm-hmm. you're talking about color. I can't even believe you're talking about gender. I can't believe, like, what are you doing? What are you guys doing? And they're, they're just waiting for us to get out of the way. And so, yeah. you know, I, That's I think what I that tell it was, people that I know. That's what I say. I say, you don't realize they're taking over. You know, it's their oh, world, totally. not ours anymore. You know, totally. and I'm glad. Me too. But one of the things that I did was I made sure that during that, you know, um, thank heavens for Wi-Fi because I was broadcasting live back to, you know, all of my friends here in, in Europe and letting them see what was actually happening because what they were seeing on the news was a completely different story. They're like, oh, everybody's rioting, and I'm like, eh, I just walked with 100,000 people for the last 10 miles, and they, there were no riots. I'm sorry. The streets were so clean you could eat off them. There were people there. You know, you had the LGBTQ crowd passing out water and, and, and protein bars to the people who were walking by, and I've never seen such beautiful support. It was amazing. And I'm like, and to my friends here, sorry, what did you see on the news? And they're like, there were three cop cars burned out, da da da, and I went, "Oh, that's so funny because I actually saw those cars." And when the crowd of us were marching towards that intersection, those burned out cars were already sitting there. How strange is that? And so, wow. like, what? You know, and it's like it's like last year when I was I was out in L.A. this time last year for Ireland Week um, in L.A. and a friend of mine who was coming out with me, she was terrified to go because of the fires. And to look at the news from here, the whole of L.A. was on fire burning down. Yeah. And I kind of fly in, and I'm flying in over L.A., and I'm going, I don't even see a puff of smoke anywhere. What's going on here? And then I get down, and there was this hillside on fire. And, you know, I know that there had been other isolated incidences, but what, what was being portrayed was something completely different. And so... This is why I think it's so important that we all put in our two cents and that we all share our stories because um, people's perspectives, A, are going to be different. And um, the fact that we're being able to see things, you know, it's, it's, it's like people are horrified with, with what's going on with the racism and the police and this and that. And I'm going, that's not anything new. It's just we have the technology now to, to let other people see it as it's happening. And, um, you know, so I think that is, it's vital that we tell our stories. And, um, when I was writing my books and my, my, my father, my father was still alive at the time. And, um, I think they were a bit nervous when that first book was going to come out. And that was, you know, gosh, 10, 12 years ago. And I said to them both, I said, you both watch. I said, the people are going to come out of the woodwork because this book is going to give them the freedom to talk about experiences they've had in their life where if I had a penny for every time I have heard, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but followed by some story. Um, and it's because people were afraid of being judged. They didn't want people to think they were nuts or, or they didn't want them to think that it went against their chosen religion or but. People were having these very real experiences that might not quite fit into the box of, of 
what was the the common consensus in their communities. And so when this book came out, oh my gosh, my mom has had the best time. She's 91 now. She's in great shape. And some of her greatest joys are the phone calls that she'll get where people just sit down and they feel free to tell her their stories now. And she just eats it up. She loves hearing these things. And I said, I told you, as everybody's got a oh, story wonderful. to tell. And so many people have experienced that, which is not what we would consider mainstream or that, that would, which would be metaphysical or paranormal. And they're dying to tell the story. And so all I'm trying to do is go out there and go, there you go. I'll, I'll tell it to anybody who will listen. Um, and one of the, the greatest blessings of this accident, when, when I knew I was going to come back and my life was going to change very dramatically, I just said, I will do this. I I want to go back, and I agree to go back. I'm going back. Put me in, Coach. And here's my one stipulation. If I'm going to go back, and I'm going to start doing and talking about and writing about all these things that, that, that you guys want me to, I cannot care what other people think of me. And that yeah. has been one of the greatest blessings. And it happened. I was 21 when this accident took place, you know. Um, so I've I've been living with this longer than I've lived without it. So I'm very, very grateful for the fact that I couldn't care less what somebody thinks of me or if they think I'm nuts or crazy or if I'm – I just don't care. You know, that's that's not what I'm here to – I'm not here to convince anybody of my truth or – or what happened to me during those times. I'm just here to share the story, and they can take, they can flush it down the toilet if they want to, or they can take aspects of it and, and make changes in their own lives. Yeah, I I really uh, admire your attitude, and also uh, I'm grateful for the gifts that you've been given that you've been able to tell us about it because. Uh, it, it's it's transformative what you're talking about helping others to transform too, and uh, I really I really love it I love all of it and even the hard times when you're talking about knowing your relationship's going to be doomed or whatever you know I was like dang how many times have I felt that way oh this is every time I okay I've been married three three times and married my third husband twice right every time I go down that aisle I'm convinced I'm doing the right thing. But as soon as I say I do, I want to jump off a cliff every single time because yeah. I know how it's going to end. Every time. They say, why do you do it? So I said, because I hope until that last moment that I'm wrong. But no, I'm not. It happened every time, you know. It's, but something it's profound it's happened this last time. It's seeing the potential month. in something. You know, yes. it's being the, the ultimate optimist. It's seeing the potential in something and knowing that it's, it's so happy. you're you there know, you say for you're as long as you need to be there. That's right. And the way you would say how exciting to look for your, your rings and all that stuff, and uh, don't I identify with it. It's just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, was stand, I was standing at the aisle in my, on my father's arm getting ready to do, you know, I mean, it was just comical. I look back now, and it's just, I just, I love my sense of humor, and I love my 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 sense of flair and theatrics, and you know, the theme from Chariots of Fire is playing, and I'm dressed like a queen, literally yeah. like a queen. And the the medieval page boys have just gone down the aisle, and the girls with the cone hats. And I'm standing there. My father turns to me, and he goes, you don't have to do this. 
Yep. And I looked back at him and I said, oh, yes, I do. And off we marched. And I knew it wasn't going to last. Um, yeah. You know, imagine, imagine being on the receiving end of that. You know, God love him. Poor old thing, oh. you know. But, boy, he just he jumped in with both feet and and uh, we – we did our thing for as long as we were meant to do it, and then we moved on. And he has a wonderful life now, and I certainly wouldn't trade mine for anything. And, um, you know, it's just it's being present in the moments. And I think we have, you know, I was in a session just today working with somebody, and this happens quite often, especially, you know, when somebody finds out that you've got these abilities to communicate with people on the other side or, um, you know, that you can help remove interference within their body and suddenly they don't have cancer anymore or, or whatever. But oftentimes people will like show me a picture of somebody and this is most often somebody who's living and go, you know, how about this guy? Is it going to work out with this guy? And that happened just today to somebody. And I just sat back and I laughed and I went, you know, if this person is in your life right now, you can be sure 100% sure that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And that doesn't mean that they're going to be there tomorrow. Doesn't mean they're going to be yeah, there. Good in five way to years. put it. Good but way to put it. It means that if they are there, then you are supposed to be there too. There is something they they can't turn up by accident. That's just not the way that it works. And you know, if it's if it's something that's going to last for a short period of time, then there's something that you need to get from that. And until you get it, you're going to be in it. And for some people, that's a lifetime. Um, for other people, it's a short period of time, and if we could kind of approach the way that we interact with one another without these, you know, gigantic dramas around around things, I think things would be a lot easier for people. But the dramas are part of the experience too. Yeah, the agony and the ecstasy—that's what I call it. The good, the bad, oh, and the ugly. It's the duality, and the agony. you know. Yeah. We talk about the how how awful the dichotomy is here—the you know, dark and light—and and I'm like, well. Any any beautiful tapestry, any painting worth its salt, you know, it takes the dark and the light to create a beautiful picture. And mm-hmm. I think we have kind of fallen prey to this idea that spirituality is something that's always a, a, a positive and comfortable and wonderful thing. And it's so funny because you never, ever hear anybody asking, why me? When the going, you know, when the going is great, you know, when everything's working out exactly the way they want it to, nobody goes, why is this all this good stuff happening to me? This is just wrong. And you never hear that. But funny enough, the minute it gets a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit tough, that's when all the why me's start coming out. Why is this happening to me? I didn't sign up for this. I don't deserve this. And, I mean, we're just, we're hilarious like that. And the fact that anybody can't see that means that they they need it. They have to have it. And so yeah. the more you, you you step into acceptance of that, then the the less the less dramatic the waves become. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have adversity in your life. It means that when it comes, you act and react in a completely different way. You can you can go off the charts if somebody does something that makes you very angry. You could freak out or you can sit and take a breath and go, what's the gift in this for me? Why is this happening? And, um, you know, it, it changes the way that we act. It changes the, the effects that it has on our physical bodies. Um, and, you know, we 
can spin our wheels in absolute trauma and drama, or we can sit back and go, I truthfully believe every day of my life that nothing happens to me without reason. And the funny thing is when it gets really uncomfortable how quickly people forget that. It's like look at the political situation in America right now. Look at the the tensions are so, so high. And people who I know and would have considered to be very devout um, with their spirituality or their religion um, are suddenly acting as if, you know, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm like, guys – do you actually believe that somebody's on vacation, you know, that, that, that the divine isn't at the wheel right now? Do you really believe that, um, that, it's, uh, that the divine is only in charge when, when it, things are going well for you or when you feel comfortable or when you, or when you don't feel challenged? And this is what is just comical to watch because people are just spinning out of control. They're in agony. They're in terror. They're in um, – the, Families are fighting with one another because of their political differences right now. And I, I just sit back and I go, wow, wow. Um, you know, that's. I really haven't crazy. seen it this crazy, but I'm not, I'm not old enough to go so far back. But this is, I think, the most divided, crazy people thinking they're better than other people just because they vote in a certain way. It's like I have never really seen this this bad before. Yeah, it's interesting. And what what I also found, you know, as someone, you know, I'm a European now for, for the last 20 yeah. years, so I'm very much so uh, proud of being American and I love going home and, I, I you know, I live there part of the year. Um, but so I get the benefit of, of seeing America from outside of America. And I tell you what. It's life-changing because you don't realize until you leave it how absolutely indoctrinated we are and that separatist mentality of, you know, America the great. Is it great to be patriotic and to love your country? Sure. But to think that your country is better than everybody else or more deserving than everybody else in the world? No. You step out of it and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is nuts. And you watch it and it's almost like a reality TV show unfolding in front of you. Um and what I have found so interesting is, especially in the in the midst of this pandemic, is how quickly the issue of of protection or mask wearing became a political issue. And I just howled. You know, I've been I've been a doctor of chiropractic for 22 years, or more than that, 25 years. And um, you know, I I trust my body. I I have taken diligent care of my body and I actually happen to like some germs and I and I know that without bacteria that we as a species will expire and so what I find fascinating is that all of a sudden because let's say if I questioned or didn't want to wear if if I'm outside taking a walk I am not wearing a mask I'm sorry if it's a requirement in a shop that I need something from yeah I'll stick a mask on and I'll go in and I'll get it in my own workspace, in my office, which I own, I have given people the choice to wear the mask if they want to, but I'm not working eight hours a day with that on um, at the level. You know, for me, being a chiropractor, it's like being in the gym eight hours a day. Um, you know, you just don't stop all day long, and I can't do that with a covering on my face. And so they can wear a covering if they want to, coming in and out really quickly. But what's so fascinating is – People at home then will go, oh, you don't wear a mask, so you must be a Trump supporter. And I was like, what? Wow. And it became such – it 
so quickly polarized to those who were thoughtful and protective were Democrats and those who were not wearing a mask or who were challenging some of the uh, – some of the craziness that's going on must be Republican. Well, guess what? I'm not either. And um, I just find it so funny how how quickly people have turned on one another. I've been unfriended on social media by by people who I've been lifelong friends with because yeah, that's of what I was talking about. Yeah, it's scary that that people have taken this attitude. We have always had arguments over this but in the long run everybody would pull back together again but this is this has been the most divisive uh splitting up with family it's just odd but listen darling only people who only people who are in a space where they can be divided can be divided yeah so i think that right now you know we've got a spotlight on you know all the characters that it takes to play this thing out. Um, you know, am I a fan of of the president of America? Um, as a person, no. <laughs> Just not. Well, I never have um, been, so I can't even no. believe that he's there. So, however, as a as a spiritualist, as somebody who has been dead and kind of has been able to see how this place works, I completely understand the necessity for the character. Now, I don't think that he, the person, necessarily even knows he's being used in this way. Um, But I can see the big picture of why, because I'm watching so much stuff that's been, you know, we've been on eggshells and and things that have bubbled up to the surface and a whole lot of of closet hatred and a closet racism Mm -hmm. and things that still needed to be addressed have all bubbled up to the surface. And now we're getting a chance to really look at them. And suddenly those that you thought might have been allies in your life or people that you trusted and then you see where their allegiances lie or the way that they um, are choosing to rant on or, or, or are behaving towards a certain group of people or they're stepping out of that love is love space, it gives you the chance to reevaluate what's in your own life and who you're allowing into your own life and who you're giving your time and attention to. Emanuel Swedenborg said it best, you know, 16th century mystic. Um, condensed down, you are what you love, and what you love is what you give your attention to. And I learned that from a friend a long time ago, and um, it makes complete sense because you are what you love, and you're going to vibrate at the space of whatever has your attention. And if your attention right now is on, oh, my God, when is the pandemic going to end, da, 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 and you're terrified, guess what? You're going to vibrate in a space of terror. And, um, listen, I was in with, I was in with um, a business colleague the other day, and his assistant was in the room, and I was, actually, I was the client. I was in, and we were discussing something, and very quickly they'd asked about my summer and how it had been, and I told them, you know, I had COVID, and here's what happened, and blah, blah, blah. And um, the assistant suddenly changed the tone and was extremely um, reactive and very aggressive in her particular approach to um, me just telling this is how it unfolded for me and this is what went on and she became quite aggressive and I just stopped the conversation and I said I think it's really important that the three of us acknowledge what's happening right now 
I'm a paying customer. I've come in to discuss something. You asked me a question. I answered it. And now I want you to check in with the atmosphere in the room right now. I'm uncomfortable because the tension is so high in here because you disagree with the way I've done something or, or my personal opinion on something. And so now what was meant to be a business meeting that I'm paying you for um, has turned into something where I feel completely out of sorts and completely uncomfortable, and you've changed that tone. And they just stopped. They were flabbergasted. And it's really interesting to be able to sit back and, and evaluate our situations going, this is what's happening. And I think it's giving us these beautiful opportunities to show up for ourselves because we can either start decimating people. You know, I was walking in L.A. and 11 o'clock at night with no mask on and a string of obscenities flew out a car window driving past me concerning put a mask on. Um and like I said, I wear one where I'm around people or required to do that. But when I'm walking and I'm out on my own and there's nobody else around me, I'm not wearing one. It's not it's not healthy for me. Well, you're not with anybody anyway. There's nobody. Exactly, exactly. It just but doesn't it's make so sense. Interesting. So you're giving you're getting this chance to kind of show up for yourself. And I could turn around and give them yeah. a finger, or I could just keep walking or smile and wave, which is what I do. Um, but constantly right now we're being provided with these opportunities to show up and we can show up in compassion and understanding um and in an attempt to connect or we can show up with the idea of conquer divide and i'm going to try to beat you into submission until you believe what i do well about like you just told the truth that kind of broke that aggressive bubble in that uh conference you were having did it, how did they change? Did they adjust or? Oh, absolutely. Well, he oh, he, good. he turned and he kind of barked at her, um, at the assistant, and I just went, "That's not necessary either." Do you know? Look, let's just mm-hmm. acknowledge it for what it is. I think it's important that everybody sitting here understands that that just took place. And I could either sit and say nothing, and then you know, be anxious in my stomach and go, "Oh my God, I can't believe I just went and yeah. paid for that." Or I can speak up, and so I chose to say something, and I, and I didn't have to decimate her. I didn't have to um, go on some kind of rant to make myself look good or, 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 you know, prove my argument right. It was just to acknowledge this is what's happening in this moment. Look at this. I think I think we want to stop, take a breath, and let's reevaluate how we want to continue forward this, with this because at the way it is right now, I'm getting ready to pack up and leave. I'm not I'm not going to sit and subject myself to this kind of tension. I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to give you the opportunity to accept that I am your customer and I, that I am I'm paying for your time right now and that I'm not liking the way this is going. Good and so, you. you know, they were kind of shocked more than anything. And so I think we have these great opportunities right now to just kind of stop and rather than running off at the mouth and, and trying to, you know, it's it's that's like trying to change somebody's opinion about politics on Facebook. Like, really? You think you're going to post something that's going to change someone's no. political allegiance? Absolutely not. So, you no. know, what you the, have to the do truth, is you well, have to show up Well, the truth shall set you free. The truth exactly. shall set you free. And that's and, what the saying the truth, is. And if Yes, go ahead. The truth is different for all of us. Yeah. Your truth shall set you free. <laughs> if we narrow it down to, well, 
to me, it's it's like when something like that happens and people are are getting aggressive and there's a certain air, there's a certain uh, sometimes I think it's sort of a evil thing that's taking place. Like it's a a certain power to it. And with but you that, speak of evil as if evil is a bad thing. <laughs> okay, now I read that part in your book too. And I, <laughs> uh, that comes as quite a surprise to people. You know, yes. I, I always ask, you know, people have no problem whatsoever going, oh, when something good happens, oh, thank you, Jesus, my angel sh- showed up for me, da-da-da. And then when something bad or uncomfortable happens, you don't hear them say that. And I'm going, isn't that a really interesting human behavior? Because... People will turn around then when, you know, maybe when the dust is cleared and they're not in, in, in danger or they're not feeling as threatened or whatever, and they'll go, you know what, I actually learned and learned and, and grew from that situation. Um, I'm a better person because of it. But when they're in the thick of it, the last thing they're going to think of is that it's happening for their own, own benefit or, or happening, you know, because some divine being is there helping it. But when it's a good thing, when it's a comfortable thing, when it's that job promotion or a new romance, oh, yes, my angels lined that up. Or, you know, my dead father was there, and he made that. He made us meet. And people are just so funny how they do that because I'm like, what about the bad times where you grew? What about the part where you actually dropped a lifelong belief about something and you, you exponentially expanded in that moment? What, you think nobody was there to help you for that? And that's why I think it's so funny because when we when we wrap that in the blanket of evil and we make something that's bad or uncomfortable or creating discord or change or disharmony where you know where our frequencies are out of balance and they need our attention, we don't ever attribute that to something good. And I think that's so funny. Um it really makes no sense to me, and that's the truth. It's it's like people will say in good times that God or their or their higher being or the universe is is in control at all times until it's not. <laughs> and, and I'm like, this just makes no sense. Um, so I think you know we I think we lack consistency as a species when it comes to our understanding. Of, of how things actually work here, that that we're we are these divine, incredible, eternal spirits who come in here to have this unique opportunity to be human, and part of being human is all that pain and discomfort that goes with it, mixed in with these pockets of bliss and joy, and we are constantly trying to escape that, and that's why so many people will paint the picture of heaven as a final destination or um and i'm going guys it, it really doesn't work like that you know heaven heaven is a feeling it's not a final destination you know when i died and i went out of my body and i went into that space where i was meeting with my own guardians and where i'm doing my own life review it was like grand central station it was not it it was not my final stop it was a middle ground where I could go on to something else or I could come back. And we have this idea, though, that the great reward for all the suffering that we go through here is to be somewhere else permanently where we never suffer again. And that's just 
that's such a narrow 3D way of, of seeing the, the gift of being able to live, the gift of being able to experience, the gift of being able to know what it feels like to be in pain or to hurt, because in contrast to that, it's the only way that we can know the light. Yes, I have. I understand what you mean because I, I did have, uh, since I was a little kid, I would have these uh, very uh, odd experiences, but I was very close to God and um, I would, um, I had, I guess, near death experiences and stuff like that, but I did have a real uh, near death experience. I guess I died in my sleep and. Uh, mm-hmm. I left, but I turned around and looked at myself, and then I noticed that I looked very young. Everybody always said, oh, you look younger than you are, your age. And I, I, first time, when you're outside of yourself, you kind of can observe that. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then I remember looking at my kids, and then I was on the, the, the roof, and then I was from then like a bullet. It was so fast. I identified with what you were saying when you said it was like in a flash. I was going mm-hmm. up to God, and I felt God's love, and I felt the light and all this other stuff. But that I started thinking about my kids, like who's going to raise my kids? And so I got slammed back into my body, and I, I, it hurt so bad to be back here that I was like for a week. It took me a week to, to say, okay, I'll do this, you know, because it, it hurts to be here sometimes. You know what I mean? Just to, oh yeah. Just how heavy our bodies are, and you know, it's a. Uh, I came back, and then I had a lot of other experiences, and uh, it's um. It is a state of ecstasy and bliss, but there's something that happened. This is my third marriage. I got at ten year anniversary. I decided I want to. Get, I'm Greek Orthodox, so I said, okay, I want to get married in the Greek Church, and he's Catholic, so, okay. So we had a big church wedding and in the Greek Orthodox Church, and then we got home, and we were both – I remember sitting in the chair, and I was watching him unlace his shoes. since We had been together 11 years and married for 10, and I was just watching him, and I was thinking, I wonder if that changed anything about the wedding, you know what I mean, about getting remarried again. And he looked mm. at me from tying his shoes. He looked up. And he looked like his ideal self. It was quite stunning. And he said this to me. He said, I can't go there with you. Meaning how deep love is. He can't do it. And then he looked down and he just kept unlicing his shoe. He didn't know that he said that to me. And to have Mm -hmm. another human being say something so profound, I know there's something else going on. You know, there's something fabulous. I, I think his soul was telling me so that I didn't count on it, that I wouldn't be so heartbroken after 10 more years and that they were split up. You know what I mean? It hurt, but it didn't kill me. Right. You know, but to have a human tell you that their soul talks to your soul, I mean, that's quite stunning, really, to have somebody say mm-hmm. that. It's like, well, like, like when you meant that, that gorgeous guy – he said, you left me as a baby in a covered wagon. I was like, what the? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like when you hear and that. And consequently, I had, I had a, an, an email yesterday from someone that I went out with who I actually wrote about in the book as well who, um, you know, 
I, we might send an email just to say hello once a year and yeah just had one came and just said you know it was such a great time that we had together because we were both there at a time in our lives where we just really needed to lift each other up but then his journey was going one way mine was coming to Ireland and we both respected that about one another and he said something just so simple and he said you know that that great time that we had together it was enough and I went wow oh my gosh how amazing is that so we weren't beating each other oh. up going, it was your fault we broke up. It was just, it was enough. It was exactly what each of us needed in that time. And we were able to walk away with such gratitude for the other. And, um, wow. yeah, you know, and they don't always end like that. And certainly not all of mine haven't ended like that. Um, but that did. And how precious is that? It's so It's so precious to hear hear it. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm sure that he does not know he said that. And then he doesn't know why I was so easy on him. I never asked for outsourcing support or anything else. I'm sure he thinks I was just stupid or something. That's not why. Cause I don't want to put the screws to him. You know what I mean? Like I could have after you're married so long, you know, I just right. didn't. But that doesn't mean because I'm all holy or anything. It's because his soul said that to me. And how can you beat a person like that when they're just mm-hmm. saying they can't go? Well, mm-hmm. You know, if somebody tells you they can't go, they're really telling you the truth. They can't go. Maybe it'll kill them. Right. Maybe the the what they perceive as being abandoned might kill them. I don't know. I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's so strange. But I wanted to ask you a question. Um, sure. The the the. The way that you've chosen is not easy. The chiropractic, going to be uh, get your doctorate in chiropractic. Why did you choose that way? Judge, the dead grandfather. Really? <laughs> yep. So after I when I when I came back into the body, you know, I broke my neck. That's how I died. Um, mm-hmm. I broke my neck. My spine was just in a in a literal twist. Um, you know, I was told I'd never have children. Um, I detached a retina. I lost my, I'm deaf in one ear. Um, you know, I had a, a whole lot of physical injury, but I also had these amazing things now that were happening as in I could touch somebody and download their hard drive. So I could, you know, if somebody came to me who had cancer, I could go, Oh, well, you know, when you were 12 years old and such and such happened, da, 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 you're actually still carrying that, that piece of you that you need to be whole now is still there. And so um, this amazing stuff was happening. So it was Judge who comes to me and goes, um, he always would talk like we, we, you know, we are sending you. I'm like, okay, we, um, <laughs> we're sending you to chiropractic school. And I'm like, to what? And I said, well, you know, you're a surgeon. You were a surgeon in medical school and all. And he said, you will understand that it is imperative at this stage in your life and with what you're going to be doing in the future that you learn a vitalistic philosophy towards the human experience. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I get to school and then I suddenly understand because, you know, the allopathic route is it's a mechanistic kind of pieces and parts and the body is, you know, in essence a machine that you can – take parts out of if they're broken or that you, you, you know, put things in like pharmaceuticals um, um, if it's sick. And 
that that was that's kind of the way that that works. And with chiropractic, it was very much so all this talk about mind, body, and spirit, and a nervous system that's housed within a spinal column, and that the body needs no help, just no interference. And I'm like, oh. And it also gave me the opportunity to legally put my hands on a lot of people. So yes. you know, at this stage in my 50s, I've, I'm well over the 150,000 mark of people I've had my hands on, I'd say. And it gave me the chance as I be, and it gave me a, it gave me a new vocabulary, because when I would touch someone, and let's say if I had my hand on their throat and I knew there was cancer there, instead of going, oh, it's this area right here, I could go, oh, that's a thyroid, or when I would start feeling somebody's um, angst or their depression, and I'd go, oh, this depression actually feels like that person's anxiety, um, as well, and you begin to develop these patterns, but I'm develop, developing these patterns with a dialogue, and so I was able to kind of know the human body inside and out and recognize how important cellular memory was and how we truly are the body electric and you know we're this beautiful intricate series of chemical reactions that take place and that there isn't one thing you know i i i I rarely practice uh chiropractic anymore because i'm so busy with healing sessions um but, you know, it would be so funny how somebody would go, why have you got your, you know, if I'm doing cranial work on them, why, why have you got your finger in my mouth? Why, what does that have to do with my back pain? And I'm like, this is a mirror image, what's happening in your jaws of what's happening in your pelvis. And they're like, what? Um, or it's, they've got a pain in their back and I'm down at their feet. And they're like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, you know, truthfully, the knee bone's connected to the hip bone, you know, that old song. Mm-hmm. and this idea that we're not just these pieces and parts working independently of one another, but that everything, the mind, the body, the spirit, the emotional bodies are all working in tandem and that we just forget about that. Um, So it changes the experience for people. And so that's why, you know, right now when everybody is so terrified of, uh, of picking up the next virus and they're over cleaning everything. And I'm like, guys, you are, really you're going to sanitize yourself into sickness because the body needs the challenge. If somebody pedals your bicycle for you, you're never going to get fit. And if your environment is so clean that your body doesn't have to work, that your body doesn't have to develop ever a fever or raise a temperature or deal with a bacteria or, you know, it, and then when the going gets tough, then the body's really going to struggle. And I had somebody, you know, speak to me with pride with the fact that I've never had flu in my life, um, but this one over here has had flu every second year or whatever. And I said, well, what's interesting is that if you if you do, end, and we were having the COVID conversation, I said, if you do end up getting it, guess who's probably going to struggle more, you or the guy with, who gets the flu every now and again? And she's like, well, the guy who gets the flu, obviously. And I went, wrong answer, your body um, your body is going to have to deal with this in a completely different way. His is well-practiced at it. His immune system is kicking up and working all the time. That's like if somebody eats bad food, if the person who doesn't throw up and then the other person is retching their guts up for five hours, which one of them is well? Which one of them is healthier? Well, to me, I'd look at and Super. somebody might go, oh, the person who didn't throw up. 
and doesn't feel well for a couple of days. I'm going, no, I'd take the guy who threw up for five hours and then was fine afterwards because his body was working yeah, well. Yeah, you're getting it all out of you. Toxin and expelled it, exactly. And so exactly. our concepts of what it means to be healthy have just gone out the window. And I think one of the most challenging things for me is because, you know, everywhere you turn, the buzzword is all on mental health right now. We talk about mental health, and now we've come so far, and mental health is so important, and there's, you know, systems in schools and in businesses to to deal with people's emotional states and their mental health and, and all. And then what happens the very second that this whole pandemic begins? What's the first thing you see in all the headlines? Nurse Jones, age 37, with no underlying conditions, dies of COVID. And I'm like, hold on a second. How do you know that Nurse Jones didn't just lose her mother? How do you know that Nurse Jones isn't in a domestic violence situation at home? How do you know that Nurse Jones is so swamped with debt that she doesn't know how she's going to pay her bills next month? And then you're telling me she has no underlying conditions? Yeah. And so how quickly we've jumped to the space that if the physical body looks okay, then that person is what we deem healthy. And um, I think it's a real travesty, really. And I think a lot of people are learning that lesson the hard way. And I'm watching a whole lot of people who've, who've been so um, banging the drums for mental health for, for the last few years, and then they're the first ones to tell the stories. They can't wait. The, you know, the gossip in them can't wait to say, oh, he died. He was only 19, and he died of COVID, and he was perfectly healthy. And I'm like, how do you know he didn't have serious depression? How do you yeah. know that he wasn't? constantly battling with suicidal thoughts i mean like we've, we've you know as the irish say we've lost the run of ourselves and so all i can do is is try to live by example i'm watching my daughters 16 and 18 and how they're handling going through this pandemic they've been in school they've been pulled out of school they've done this you know we've traveled they've driven across america they got to kind of see the lay of the land there what was happening um and I'm I'm looking at that and I'm going, you know what, I'm really glad that I've raised you the way that I have because now that we're in a real crisis, it's really standing to them because that broad spectrum, that understanding of of the human form, because these girls have been adjusted since the day they were born. They've been doing healing sessions or if they feel down, they don't look for something, they look for frequency. You know, they. I, I can tell yeah. one of my daughters isn't feeling so hot because then she's playing different frequencies to lift herself back up again, and it's. And I'm just watching. It's just normal to them. And the idea that you know, listening to them in conversation, even as teenagers, when when people are going, well, the pandemic won't be over till we have a vaccine, and they're like, seriously, you're you're serious about that? You know, they know at this young age that it takes years, decades. To, to know the, the, the effects, benefits, and the, the detriment, the side effects of doing something like this and how quickly we're ready to jump on that and how quickly people are ready to throw away their, their choices and their freedoms, as in if you don't get this, you can't travel, you don't have this, you can't go to school, um, and how well-versed they are because they've been living in a space where every time they had a headache, they didn't get a Tylenol. If every time they didn't feel good, they didn't get an antibiotic, you know, that they knew that their diet and, the, and the, the way they hydrated and the way they exercised were essential components to the way that they expressed health. 
And so now when we're sitting here at this stage in life where people are getting freaked out and they're like, oh, my God, the world is ending. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you actually serious? <laughs> this place has been here forever, and, all, and, and it will continue to be. But we see the rise and fall of civilizations because it's we who come and go. The earth yeah. plane itself, it's, it's inexhaustible. You know, it's here for our benefit. It will play out, and then we right. as a people will rise, and we as a people will fall. And some people will make it, and some people won't. And that's that's just reality. Um, yeah. But I don't think the way that we're viewing living and dying, and a lot of people are experiencing this firsthand now. My own mother said, and she, you know, she had COVID in March. She's 91 years old. And Amazing. she's a very vibrant 91-year-old. And so by the time we'd driven across America and gotten to her, you know, months had gone by since any of us had had, had COVID. And she was like, I, I think I'm going to go to the hairdresser. And she, and I said, okay. <laughs> and she said, well, it's a calculated risk. And she said, I don't want to spend my time locked up in this house. And, and even if something does happen, well, at least my hair will be done. And I said, you go, Mom. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and, but there are people Priority. who are sitting at home, sitting in nursing homes, who haven't seen their families for six months. Yeah. And I'm like, that's is that living really? And or looking through a glass about prolonging death at all costs because we're so terrified of death. Death is like you know, if anybody hears anything that I say tonight, it is death is like walking from one room into another. And yes. we have done so much to prolong that, that we would take people that were dignified, amazing, powerful contributors to our lives or to society, and we will sit them into a space wrapped in cotton wool where nothing or nobody can touch them and completely isolate them rather than letting them make the choice to live or die. And I think that's very, very sad, and I think it's something we really need to work on as a people. Yeah, that that uh, my friend's mother was passing away, and she said something that really hurt. She said she was 96, and she says, "My, I lost my dignity." And I went, "No, you haven't." But that's the way she felt. She mm-hmm. felt because she couldn't go to the bathroom anymore, and she had to wear diapers. She just said she lost her dignity, you know, and that hurt. But she's ha- she's happy. She's come to me. You know, after she's passed and she's young again and she's fine, you know, and she had a very mm-hmm. long life. But at the end, she did feel that way. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and certain people will feel that way. But, you know, for my own father, who was, you know, this pillar of the community and when he was mm-hmm. dying with Alzheimer's, people would look at him and go, oh, my God, it's so sad. He's lost his dignity. And I did not see it that way. What I no. thought was the a man who had dedicated his life to this discipline I was telling you, you know, this, I mean, it mm-hmm. is not hard to be that guy who shows up every single day and makes a, a, a conscious choice to be such a role model. Now, that, that's not everybody's way, but that was his way. And he made a choice to, to be that. And so that meant that when he was really, really angry, he didn't blow up at people. You know, he didn't fly off the handle. He didn't um, decimate people. He didn't... Um, if after a really hard day's work, he didn't come home and, and drink a bottle of wine. He did, you know, he just sat with it. And so I'm looking at him in in his last days, and I'm going, I don't necessarily see this as a loss of dignity. He was crying. He was angry. 
He was yelling out insults. He was expressing things that as a human being, you know, that's part of the experience. But because of the life he had chosen, he never had gotten the opportunity to experience those things. And while we still have breath in our bodies, we're still living. We're still gathering tools. And so I looked at this and I went, how fascinating um, that, uh, you know, that his life, that his life would go this way, but that he would get the opportunity to see what that felt like. Venting at the end, so interesting. Because yeah. then we're we're renewed in our new self when, once we go. And I wanted to hit upon one thing uh, that you have a new preteen uh, gender identity series. Yes. Um, Hugh and the Manatee. I really wanted to touch upon that because I feel like this is such an important subject. I am so excited about this. I um, it's it's just gone off to the printers now. The the image placements are going into the book, and then it goes to press um, next week. And this was something that I felt very strongly about. Um, it's geared towards nine to twelve, but it's going to be one of those kind of books that anybody can anybody can look at um, because I think there's a real lack in children's literature for um, diversity that all children get the chance to read a story where they can see themselves. Um, and that's just not the case with the you know the, the classic kind of fairy tale um, approach towards life, where it's always boy girl, or where it's always you know boys wear blue and girls wear pink. And I came up with a way to address that. And so it's you know Hugh and Hugh and the Manatee, humanity, obviously a play on the words, um, is about a little boy who happens to love musical theater and he loves pink and he likes to paint his nails. And he's also captain of his swim team, and, you know, he's very respected because he's the best swimmer on the team there. But there are a couple of bullies in school who happen to catch him down by the water with his shoes off, and they see the pink toenails. And just as the bullies are laying into him, this beautiful pink manatee comes up out of the water and puts the children in these magical bubbles, takes them under sea. And this is where there are such a wide variety of of aquatic creatures who are gender fluid, who can switch sex at will, you know, or the seahorses where the daddy carries the baby, um, the babies, and the sea spiders where the daddy carries the babies, and the race fish, which can change from male to female um, if, there, if there are too many of one in the school of fish. Um, and there are all these beautiful examples of these, of these aquatic creatures that completely shatter that stereotypical male-female role. And so rather than berating or shaming the, the girls who are bullying little Hugh, the manatee teaches them. And with each lesson, as they move on from, from each lesson, the girls are bathed in a frequency. And so as the story comes to the end, the girls you know, come, uh, end up stepping in as a bully at school is, is – harassing Hugh and these two girls are changed and they they kind of step in and intervene and give this other bully the lesson of a lifetime and um, you know they're there and they're standing by Hugh and you know the beauty of the end of the story is when Hugh is asking the manatee um, I you know what I don't understand how they change so quickly and the manatee was saying well you know that sound that you would hear and he said yeah well that was the frequency of love. And he said, oh, but I could hear it too. What happened to me? 
and the manatee tells Hugh, you allowed them to change. And that is the power of love. And so that's the message of the book. And so this is the first in a series. So I'm trying to address as many things that I can so that as many kids out there could open a book and go, oh, my gosh, that character's just like me. Um, because as it stands right now, there's, there's, the pickings are slim. Yeah, and um, there's a very high suicide rate upon uh, transgender de- uh, teens, uh, pre-teens, young people of mm-hmm. substance abuse and suicidality and stuff like that. So that's why I, when I, I saw that you were doing this, I just feel um, so happy and positive about it that it'll get across to some kids that you're okay just like you, you were. I, I had a dream about a place like this. I had a dream because I had always wondered what was going to happen to this earth. So what you said was, was true. I dreamt about an earth that was pure and pristine beautiful beautiful like so clean and um we we did everything uh without uh having uh something to hold we had a direct connection with uh, the highest being and that we didn't need a phone or we didn't need any of that and when a, a child was born in this place it was like the cleanest part of alaska or just beautiful pristine water, air, everything. But part of the dream was about uh, when babies were born, that the people would address the babies as if we can't hardly wait to see who you are and what you are. Like the, mm-hmm. Not the other way around that we have it now, trying to implant ourselves upon the kid, poor kid. You know, in this place, it was totally opposite. They could hardly wait to the, what the kid was. Mm-hmm. And they, what the kid was going to give, and the kid, and the gifts the kid had, rather than what they were going to do to it, like we trained them here. It was just totally mm-hmm. different. It was a a real gift to dream that. And so when I saw that you That's were beautiful. writing about this, it actually sounds yes. like a book that I'm writing. I yep, knew there was some reason apotheosis. why I was telling you. Yeah, yep. it's called it's called apotheosis, which is of course man discovering that he already is the god that he seeks. Um, yes. And it takes place thirteen and a half thousand years ago, so with the with the last Atlantean um society here, and it goes through you know what it was like then, and how you know babies were sung into the world, and when people were transitioning out, there was you know a group of people who were there who 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 sang them in and sang them out, and it was that very same thing. It wasn't a matter of of trying to teach them, tell them what they were going to do, um but letting it unfold, you know. Because oh, you're talking to me about uh-huh. another dream I had where I went to uh, this cave. It was all lit by uh, with, by torches. And I was in there singing with a bunch of other people. And it seemed like India. And there was two giants at the, the cave entry, you know, protecting the people inside this cave. And it was all like a warm yellow light. And we're all in there. And uh, the, our names were... And, and part of the our who we were, we were called the singers, and that's what we did. We're singers. Mm-hmm. Well, like that's our, the, you know the the term Mary. You know, so like my name is Mary Helen M A R Y. But back during that time, there was an a, the title the word the 
the name Mary actually is a derivative of a title, um, and that was M-E-R-Y, a Mary. And the Mary was someone who sang someone into existence. They were at all special occasions, um, and that was literally their job. And the reason that they could do this was because instead of having two vocal folds, they had four. And so a Mary could actually tone with themselves. So they could actually hit more than one. So like if I sing a musical note, one note comes out. A Mary could sing, and they could sing in harmony with themselves. And so when you got a group of Marys together, you can imagine even two to three, you know, then you're, then you're looking at four to six different tones that are coming in simultaneously. Um, and this was so like, you know, it's like Mary Magdalene or, or the Mother Mary. Back in that day, Mary was a title. And so a, a Mary was someone who was a, a wise individual um, who had a, a capacity to manipulate frequency um, in a way that would elicit change in another person's experience. Well, I think this is very strange. <laughs> I think it's tra- strange because we're talking like, you know, this is really reality, and it really oh, is. Yeah. I mean, how could we actually compare notes on something that's, that, I don't know, I have a, a it's kind of startling. That it's Anyway, uh, there's a next thing that I want to talk to you about, your new project, Boom. What's going on with that? Oh, Boom was born out of the pandemic, and um, in March, when Broadway closed down, my both of my daughters are in performing arts school, so we're all musical theater in this house. Um, you know, so they, I took them out of mainstream school because both of them had, you know, it wasn't just like, okay, I just want to sing and dance or, or whatever. They'd been doing this since they were five. They were both very dedicated to this, and you know, we were in mainstream school, and over here we have what's called the the, ju- the junior cert and the leaving cert, which would be like the SAT in America, um, and the junior, you know, the junior SAT. Um, and so, it had gone to the point where my daughter was getting into the car crying every day because she'd go in, and the day was inundated with teachers um, telling her, it like panicking her, and so her whole experience was now revolving around this, and I mean, she was 15 years old, um, mm-hmm. around this experience of if you don't get this right, you know, da 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 whatever. And I was like, no, no, thank you. I also knew that this this kind of era was coming, so I didn't have, and I knew it was education was going to get turned on its ear, so I had no qualms about it whatsoever. Pulled them out of school. I found the one performing arts school that was a, a secondary school in Ireland, and they're in it. And um, they love that. And so one of their teachers, uh, actually their musical theater teacher, um, called me one day and he had this idea. And he said, "I would. This is what I'd like to do." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, yeah." So I've been lucky to be in, you know, from from the ground on this. And so what we did was we just started pooling our resources of the different Broadway stars that we knew. Um, and so then once we kind of got them together and then they knew people who knew people who knew people. And so basically what Boom is, it's Broadway official online master classes. And so it's give, it's basically bringing Broadway to people's living rooms and giving them the opportunity to learn from the masters because these guys are out of work. And so, yeah. you know, it's like my friend, my friend Austin who's played Hamilton on Broadway for the last two years. 
um, you know, that's like the most coveted role. That's the big deal. Yeah. doesn't have a job, right? And so yeah. what these guys are doing, though, is that for, um, you know, Boom is a membership, a monthly membership. It's only like 10 bucks, And a portion of the proceeds go to um, the Actors Fund, which is um, providing out-of-work actors, technicians, you know, anybody who's in the industry. Um, and if they're in need, they can go to this fund. Let's say they can't meet rent this month. They can go to this fund and look for the money um, to help meet rent. So it's actors supporting actors um, or, or anybody involved in, in the theater industry. And so, like, I mean, my, my kids have gotten to do one-on-one classes with Eva Noblezada, who's she was Miss Saigon, and she's um, the star of um, Hades Town right now. Um, Austin, who was Hamilton, Laura Bell Bundy, who was um, uh, Elle Woods and Legally Blonde. Um, tomorrow, we're starting a writer series for six weeks, which, which I'm so excited about because I'm I'm actually taking it as a student. I'm the I'm the officer for outreach and awesomeness with Boom, and uh, but I'm mm-hmm. also a student of it because it doesn't matter. You know, I've written ten books, but like Michelangelo said, I'm still learning. And so we've got these Grammy and Emmy award-winning producers, musicians, teachers, um, authors who are teaching this six-week master series. Um, so, like, if somebody's working on a piece of music, or if they're working on a book, or if they're trying to turn a book into a musical, that's you know, and that would be I'd, where my interest would be. Um, because, like I said, one of the benefits of being dead is I want to do everything. And I'm just knocking stuff out one thing at a time. My mom said, she said, you have had more jobs than any person I've ever known in my life. And um, because I just want to, I want to do it all. You know, sometimes I even forget that I'm a doctor. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I already did that. And uh, so now I want to write a musical. <laughs> now I want to be, now I want to do Broadway. Now I want to, you know. Well, how do people um, hook up with this boom? It's, how it's, do people? They go, it's, um, uh, Boom, let's see, boom.com. Boom is, um, let me just look real quick because it's late and slipping my mind. Boommasterclass.com. Yeah, okay. B-O-O-M-A-S-T-E or Boom Masterclass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's www.boom, B-O-O-M-A-S-T-E-R-C-L-A-S-S dot com. And what's so much fun is that because my daughters take these classes and all, my mother will get on in the States, and she'll get on the Zoom call, so she gets to hear the girls sing. Um, oh, yeah. You know, they were they were singing with um, – Sierra Bogus the other day, who was, you know, she was Christine in Phantom of the Opera. She originated the Little Mermaid role on Broadway. And the girls got to, you know, they were doing this one-on-one class, and Grandma just got to watch, you know. And she sits back and watches it like TV. And it has just given her such joy because she gets to check in. And there are a lot of these classes, like with the writer series, let's say someone doesn't want to pay for the whole series. They can, they can pay a lesser price to be an observer, so they're picking up tips and doing all this. And so every single time you see my mother on the Zoom, there she's got her little pen and paper. She's writing down notes. And that's what keeps her so young is that she's always It's wonderful. Learning. Oh, it's brilliant. It's wonderful People that she like, just what, what is she keeps doing? open-minded. Well, and, wow. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, and and because of that, bang, you know, like her her new book for Christmas will be out in in about three weeks, and um, her first. What's the book. name of her book? Get so us a, her book and a name. He, it's going to be called His Own Simple Gift, and um, it'll be up on Amazon, you know, for right at the end of November, beginning of December, um, by Helen Clark Hensley. And, Wonderful. you know, it's so exciting. And, you know, so it's just, uh, it's all go. It's all like I am having, I'm having the best pandemic ever. And, <laughs> you know, it's because I am walking into this and I mean it when I say I, I, I don't do, I'm not being stupid. I'm not going up and like sneezing in people's faces or letting people sneeze in mine or I wouldn't do that anyway. You know, I, I, yes. I'm practicing the same level of hygiene that I always would. Um, and I am not walking around in a state of fear. And, you know, yes, there is a, an advantage to having been dead and having understood that I'm, I am here and a lot of people might not be privy to the idea or remember the fact that they came here for a reason and a purpose and they will not leave until it's done. And so I know this about myself and so I'm not I refuse to give in to any kind of fear around this and so you know we have news here of a level 5 lockdown we might be going into complete lockdown again after tomorrow's announcement from the government and everybody's like oh my god and I'm like oh my gosh this is amazing all these things (laughs) I need to do and catch up on I'm like this rocks and I don't see you know if you can see the opportunity in everything um, yes. That's it's as simple as that because, you know, really at the end of it, what, what are they trying to control people with? A fear of if you don't do this, you're going to die. And I'm going, wow, what if collectively we as a people didn't fear the death part of this? And, right. um, you know, it would completely change the way we live. And when you live from a space of, look, if I die tomorrow, I die, I die very happy with everything that I've done. Like, you know, but the funny thing is I know that I don't die tomorrow because I'm not done with what I came here to do, and I know what I came here to do. And some people might right. say, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. I haven't – I'm not – I'm so disconnected from that. Well, that's part of the experience, and people forget that. Sometimes con- taking that short space of time, you know, whether it's 80, 90, 100 years is a blip in time. To be able to disconnect and to find your way back to that knowing that you are a fractal of the whole, that you are collectively here to see the world and experience it through 8 billion different sets of eyes. And so that truly what you do to another, you're doing to yourself. And, you know, if we could get back to that space and remember that, it makes the life experience so much more enjoyable. And it doesn't mean that bad things don't ever happen to me. I've had plenty of, of... very uncomfortable things that have happened in my life, but the way that I deal with them is absolutely changed forever. But and that's that's the beauty of having had a near death experience. You're never so scared to, to die again. Scout from the rooftops. You don't have to die to get to know this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you're never quite the same. You know, you I I really don't want to die in a lot of pain. You know, but I'm not scared of dying. You know, because it's actually not even. We can't die. We can't disappear. You know, it's not. It's not reality. We go no, on to the next. Whatever. Yeah, it's not reality. So, we've been speaking with Dr. Hensley, and uh, 
she's the author of nine books, including Promised by Heaven, Bringing Death to Life, and Understanding the New Healing, Miraculous Recovery from Physical and Emotional Trauma, which is so important to uh, to just realize that this isn't it. Please get her books. And you can reach uh, Dr. Hensley at www.maryhelenhensley.com. And, of course, your books are available on Amazon. That's where I, I got my books in Kindle. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and I really appreciate for the new audio book. I know. That's the thing. Tell us one more time about this audio book. So it's the audio of Understanding is the New Healing, and I'm narrating. And um, there are these incredible frequencies. So um, my very dear friend, Greg Papagna, who's a sound engineer and um, music producer in Los Angeles, um, basically brought these frequencies to life and has created the most incredible packages. Because basically what um, what I came back with when, you know, when I started – you know, you get into to helping people facilitate their healing process, and you've been in it for a long time, and you start going, hmm, is this actually happening because I'm so gifted and so special or because I'm really good at manipulating frequency that's available to all of us? And suddenly I was like, hmm, I think this is because I'm good at manipulating frequency that's available to all of us. How can I put this in people's hands? And so I started collabing with Greg and putting packages together for people where – on my website, um, under downloads, there is a, a listener's guide, and it gives an explanation as to what each of these frequencies can be used for. And it works with the premise that, you know, it takes three to four weeks. So, you know, we say three weeks to 28 days for the human brain um, for, to regrow or retrain neural pathways. And so if somebody has a particular trauma that just keeps coming back on them, you know, you can go to therapy, and it's like therapy will fill the potholes in in the road. Well, what frequency does through repetition, it'll go up and it'll blow the road up. So you'll get into a situation, and then a trigger will happen. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, this is what I used to do, but you can't do that anymore because the road no longer exists. You have now forced your body to grow new synapses based on who you are in present time, and that is phenomenal. And so, it what is. we're doing is we've we've made these you know these frequencies are available to everyone. We've shown them how to use them. You know, the the guide is there, and people are healing themselves. And then here I sit back, a window washer, wiping the windows clean so that people can see out for themselves. And that is what a healer is. Well, it's fabulous that you're sharing this with everyone because how in the heck are, well, there's only one you? So how are we going to get to yeah. you? So well, this way, you know, and that, you're helping us. Look, we all have we all have the capacity to access these things. It's just we you know we we come in and we forget how and um and then there's some people who have the tools in their hands and they just choose not to use them and that's okay too because it might not be congruent with what they need to experience in their path. Because we've gotten this idea that to heal something means that whatever is uncomfortable or whatever is ailing us is now gone. I've helped as many people die peacefully as I have live because they've gone, I'm good. You know what? I'm okay with going. And, and so helping them trans through the, transition through the death process in an um, honorable and, and, you know, honoring what it is they want to experience. And some people, you know, that, that last breath that they take, if it's one that's, in growth and understanding and learning and compassion, then, you know, they're still learning. 
And so Mm -hmm. if we can help to facilitate whatever it is that the soul came here to obtain, then we're winning. That's right. And um, I forgot to ask you one question. Why did you choose Ireland? Uh, Ireland chose me, dear. (laughs) Um, Okay. I I was I was um when I was still in chiropractic school so I was still in my 20s and I began seeing in my vision these symbols and these symbols were actually kind of like lampposts they were markers telling me the next leg of the journey and so um they actually ended up being a, a pre-Atlantean alphabet called the Goeth alphabet and I found many of the symbols here but never all of them collectively so there's some in Norway some in Sweden some in South Africa some you know there are pieces and parts of them all over the world um you know from different time stamps in our in our history and so the ones that I was seeing were were what got me to Ireland, you know. And I've always mm-hmm. said you know, Scotland is my is my favorite place in the world. And if I was like going to pick up and move somewhere, that would have been it. And but Ireland was a calling. It was a, it was a I have to get there. I need to be there as much as I need to to take my next breath of oxygen. Um, and it became a a mission to get back here. I had to get here. And lo and behold, this you know this part of my life unfolded and it unfolded in a very dramatic and, and rapid fashion. And it was because I followed, it wasn't convenient to move here. Um, it would have been easier for me to be at home. My kids are so funny cause we'll go home and we'll visit friends and other colleagues of mine that maybe I graduated with and they'll, you know, they'll get to their houses and the girls will be like, uh, Oh, huh. if, if we'd stayed here is, is, is this what our house would have looked like? Because we live in a, <laughs> an authentic Irish cottage, you know, yeah. with the, the stone fireplace, which I, to me, that's heaven. To them, they're like, oh. It is. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, and, you know, I'm like, yeah. So it was a calling. It was it was where I needed to be in order to 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 learn and to grow and to, to figure out how to utilize these gifts. And the Irish people are bar none, just the best humored and everything, sense of humor is everything to me, and everything is funny here, even the tragedies. Um, yeah. And the Irish are just a wonderful people. Um, and a ve- even though it's a pre- predominantly Catholic country, there is a, a deep-seated cellular memory of, of their Celtic wisdom, of their ancient Druidic practices. And so do we, practicing metaphysics just simply isn't that weird here, you know, because somebody's uncle has been doing it in the back of a barn for the last 50 years, and then... You know, you're just hanging up a shingle and doing the same thing. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, you get ringworm. Hey, I, I've got a cousin who will spit on that, and that will be gone in three days. That's you right. Know, they, they, just, That's right. They, they just get it, you know. <laughs> like, they do. Yeah. They do so because people, uh, they, people are good with horses. They'll say, go get the horse guy. Or people are good with exactly. Uh, yeah, and, so, yeah, the bone uh, setters. They still yeah. the bone setters here. Exactly. You know, yeah. amazing. Well, it's been so an amazing conversation, dear. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate thank, thank it. Thank you so much. Sorry about our technical difficulties starting out. Um, I well, really appreciate you. We got there in that um, I'm going to continue reading your books. I, I'm totally taken to another place in myself just by reading your books. And uh, uh, I want to thank you that 
it's a blessing, uh, a respite for me, you know, and I really have enjoyed that's it great. so much. Well, that's why I did and it. Thank you so much. That's right. I enjoy meeting you, and thank you so much for being on our show and taking the time to share with us. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I, I, I am very grateful for you and for providing a platform for people like me to speak. Um, you know, yes. we, we, we need each other. <laughs> we do, we do. Because that's why I started the show, is exactly for that. So the unheard may be heard, and that yeah, uh, we can I, talk and, about anything and, we want to talk and about. And we hear you, and we are very grateful. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thank you. All right. Okay, love you. Love and, you uh, too. Good, Take and, care. And much best wishes for all your endeavors. Really, uh, it's exciting so to I'm hear sure about. We will be chatting again. Yes, we will. Thank you so much. Okay, okay bye-bye. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Well, I really appreciate Dr. Hensley so much for uh, calling us and for being part of our show. Um, what an impressive woman. And please get her books. You can find them on Amazon, Promised by Heaven, and also Bringing Death to Life and Understanding the New Healing and Miraculous Recoveries from Physical and Emotional Trauma. So she's written... Uh, nine books, so you can get them about talking about her near-death experience and all the other very interesting. I really can't hardly put the books down, and it's taken to me to another whole world of uh, acceptance and love just to uh, listen, you know, read her stuff. Anyway, Mary Helen Hensley, you can get her books on Amazon, and her her website again is www. Mary Helen Hensley dot com, and then you can find a, a source for all her books, and of course, uh, look up Boom and uh, her new preteen gender uh, series is coming out. And uh, I'd like to just play my Ray Cordell. He has uh, created a little jingle to uh, promote his uh, new CD. That's a compilation of all his works, and they just came out. So here's Ray. Cordell, and then I'm going to play his song to uh, to usher us out for the night. Hi, this is Ray Cordell, and I'd like to invite you to check out my new album, The Long Road, which is out on Friday, the 20th of November, 2020. Now, it's a compilation album, a best of, if you like, and it features 18 original tracks written by myself over the years. So if you'd like a copy, it's out everywhere from that date on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube Music, Spotify, everywhere. Or there's also a limited number of CDs available. If you'd like a CD, a signed CD maybe, you can message me via Ray Cordell Music on Facebook or via this page. So get in contact and I hope you enjoy it. In the meantime, keep on rocking. Cheers. Okay, here's Ray Cordell's One Life as we close for the evening. God bless everybody. I love you very much, and I thank Dr. Hensley again, and God bless you. And till we meet again next week for another guest speaker, here's Ray Cordell, One Life. I'm allergic, but I just can't let you go. 